to the Vitality Radio Podcast, your source for the truth about health, wellness, and real alternatives to drugs, surgeries, and the status quo of healthcare. Here, you'll find information that empowers you to take control of your health. But it's not just about health and wellness. It's about the politics of healthcare and protecting your health freedom. Now, here's your host, Jared St. Clair. Hello and welcome to Vitality Radio and the Vitality Radio Podcast. I'm your host each and every week. My name is Jared St. Clair. It's good to be with you again on another episode of Vitality Radio. I loved last week's episode. I was so excited to bring to you the information on berberine, and yet I had to rant about the ridiculousness of local media uh, and really national media and international media as well with stuff that they say that isn't true, especially when they're telling somebody else that what they're saying isn't true. The hypocrisy is real. uh, And uh, I had to get that off my chest. And as such, I ended up underdoing the uh, berberine content on the show. I had a bunch of notes left over. So I'm going to do a quick little update to finalize what we did last show today. And then I'm also going to get into some great information on how aloe vera is not just for sunburns. And if you're worried about sunburns, but you don't want to put those nasty chemicals on your skin to prevent them, I have the answer for you today. I'm going to explain how to make sure you get your vitamin D in at the same time, protecting your skin from sunburns because you don't want to protect it from the sun. The sun is good for us, but we don't want to get burned either. I'm going to explain all that, and I'm going to explain how else aloe vera can be used besides just those nasty sunburns that we sometimes get, even when we are trying to protect our skin. Okay, so I promised you an update. I don't know if this is an update, but basically a continuation of last week's episode. I talked about berberine, and I'm not going to go into the details on how berberine works. If you would like to hear that, I would love for you to Tune into that episode. Of course, it's available on the podcast apps, uh, and uh, you, I would absolutely love for you to hear it because the information there is awesome. I was so blown away by what I read about berberine, but I had all this extra stuff that I just didn't have time for, and so I wanted to go into uh, that in a little more detail. I will give you a really quickie update on what berberine does so that if you haven't heard the last show, uh, you won't be completely lost as I talk through this. Berberine in studies has been done anywhere from about 900 to 1500 milligrams a day. It is an herbal compound that comes from a variety of different herbs. They basically uh, extracted it and are uh, using it isolated uh, in a capsule, which basically means two capsules to three capsules a day. It has been shown in clinical trials on human beings to reduce total cholesterol and LDL cholesterol. It did so as effectively as statin drugs and worked even better than statins on triglycerides in addition to increasing good cholesterol. Statins are notoriously ineffective at increasing good cholesterol. Berberine is not. Berberine reduced blood pressure as well as pharmaceuticals did. And berberine reduced blood sugar as well as glucophage, also known as metformin, did in these clinical trials. And what's crazy is it wasn't just a study or two studies or three studies. It was 27 different studies 
analyzed and put into a meta-analysis that show what berberine can do. Really amazing at just two to three capsules a day. And guess what? Without any known side effects. That is awesome. And that is the point of why I wanted to bring this up because I didn't get to talk about why somebody would want to choose berberine over the drug if they are equal in terms of effectiveness. Over the years, I've often had people at Vitality Nutrition tell me that they continue to use pharmaceuticals partly because they're cheaper than natural remedies. Now, they're clearly not really cheaper in most cases, but with co-pays and insurance and all that stuff, in many cases, they can be. Me, being a guy who grew up in a health food store, I can literally count the prescription drugs that I've used, I think, on one hand in my 47 years here on this earth. But uh, most people have, unfortunately, used more than that. I have a very different view on drugs and the dangers of drugs. And really, you know, uh, President Reagan was the president of my youth. And uh, Nancy Reagan would be proud because I say no to drugs. Although I think most of the drugs she was talking about might be safer than some of the ones that uh, she thought were okay. But regardless, uh, it's hard to want to pay $30, $40, $50 for a natural remedy when you can get a drug for a copay of five or 10 bucks. I get that. But first, let me tell you that in the case of berberine, it's actually not that expensive. You can get a month's supply for as low as 20 bucks, depending on if you decide that you need two or three capsules a day. And let's talk about the cost of prescriptions that have nothing to do with your finances. Well, maybe sometimes they actually will cost you on the bottom line as well. Uh, As I said, I've talked about the details on how berberine works last week, and I want you to hear that. So please go back to the podcast and listen. But let me just highlight three groups of drugs that you may potentially be able to avoid or eliminate just by using berberine. And let me also remind you, I'm not your doctor. I'm not your pharmacist. I'm not trying to tell you to get off your drugs, uh, to avoid drugs that your doctor's recommended. Those are choices you have to make with the guidance of your medical professional. I'm just laying out the information, the pluses and the minuses, and you get to decide what you want to do with it, of course. In the case of blood pressure drugs, diuretics are the most common. And to me, diuretics are backward medicine. Uh, They Loss of potassium and low potassium levels are probably the most common side effects of these drugs because what diuretics do is they push more water out of the body. And of course, that takes water out of the vascular system, which in turn temporarily reduces blood pressure for sure. But loss of potassium is one thing that doctors pay attention to. And I know a lot of our uh, clients at Vitality over the years have told me that they're not just on a diuretic for blood pressure, but they're also on potassium to counter the negative of losing too much potassium. But I've talked at length about magnesium on Vitality Radio. I'm a huge fan of magnesium, and magnesium is another one of those electrolytes that gets, for lack of a better term, peed out when you're on a diuretic. And the problem there is that magnesium is the mineral that helps the heart muscle to relax, as well as all the other muscles. And so a lack of magnesium and a lack of potassium can actually lead to heart ailments, uh, including irregular heartbeat and, uh, you know, those types of things. And so we have to recognize that when we're in medicine, in many cases in America and in the world today, we have these issues that I just don't quite understand what 
modern medicine is seeing as a solution when in reality they're essentially exacerbating the problem long term but reducing the symptoms in the short term. And in the case of diuretics for blood pressure, that's exactly what's happening. Electrolyte imbalance is so common in Americans today. And one of my first lines of defense against blood pressure issues is actually giving someone an electrolyte supplement to help balance blood pressure. Some people just taking magnesium alone or taking electrolytes and adding them to your water can reduce their blood pressure to the point of normal or at least reduce it to a healthier level because it's the electrolyte, uh, the lack of electrolytes, the lack of hydration in the cells that's creating the blood pressure issue in the first place. So then if that's what's creating the problem, then giving someone a a diuretic to make the problem better can actually make the problem worse at the core and can create a lot of issues. So I don't like the thought of diuretics for blood pressure for a variety of reasons. Those are the big ones. Other bl- bad blood pressure drug side effects uh, are chronic cough that can be so bad it can inhibit sleep. Uh, another amazing and thankfully fairly rare side effect, but scary as can be, is a severe and sudden swelling of the tongue and throat to the point of an inability to breathe, uh, basically almost an anaphylactic shock type of a response, and it can happen literally after you've been on the pill for years for blood pressure. And that can lead to tracheotomy and intubation, but it can also lead to death. And so blood pressure meds are not without their side effects. And oftentimes I think they're so commonly used that people just think, ah, it's pretty safe, not too worried about it. How about blood sugar drugs? I'm going to mention three things. And you tell me what feelings come to your mind when you hear these three things. Dementia, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's disease. Those terrify me. Now, we talk about COVID-19 and all the fear surrounding it and everything else, but man, I'd rather have any virus you can give me over Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, or dementia. And those ones hit home very, very close to my heart as my dad passed away with Parkinson's disease after a 10-year battle. Do I need to say more than those three things to scare you off of the potential of using blood sugar drugs long-term because the long-term use of use of metformin is being linked to these illnesses. There are plenty of other lesser side effects for sure, but those are enough for me. How about statin drugs? Over the years, I've brought up the issues with statin drugs. These are cholesterol meds uh, over and over again. I won't dwell on that here, but I was just on PubMed, that's the CDC's website for uh, medical publications, uh, basically studies and things like that. And there, I was reading an assessment of the various meta-analyses that have been done on statins, and the conclusion was this, and this is a quote, coronary heart disease and is, is an extremely complex malady, and the expectation that it could be prevented or eliminated by simply reducing cholesterol appears unfounded. After 20 years, we should concede the anomalies of the cholesterol hypothesis and refocus our efforts on the proven benefits of a healthy lifestyle, incorporating a Mediterranean diet to prevent coronary heart disease. Now, that's according to a journal on cardiovascular health, the World Journal of Cardiovascular Health, and that is... I love the word they use or the the wording they use where they say the cholesterol hypothesis because I believe the cholesterol 
thing is a hypothesis. I'm not convinced that cholesterol actually is a leading cause of heart disease, even though we've been made to believe that it is. But the fact that statins seem to not improve outcome in terms of mortality, and that's been proven in study after study after study, is problematic to say the least. But then take with that the fact that 30% of people surveyed said they experienced muscle aches and fatigue, and 57% of people discontinue use at some point due to side effects. Is that enough to look for a better solution? But now we are seeing correlation between use of statin drugs and increases in both diabetes and dementia. It is time we find alternatives and that doctors quit touting these things as if they are saviors. They are not. Now, if berberine has been proven in human clinical trials, not animal studies, to be equally effective and in some cases more effective and without side effects when it comes to blood pressure, blood sugar, and cholesterol, then that's the route that I will take and certainly the route that I would recommend. It makes all the sense in the world. Worst case scenario is you try berberine, it doesn't do what you want it to do, and you end up on a pharmaceutical or you try a different approach, but you haven't had any side effects. You haven't wasted a bunch of money because it's not that expensive. And in most cases, I think at the very least, it's going to improve your situation, if not get you to the level that you want it to be. And in many cases, berberine is being used in studies with people on these types of drugs, and it's improving the benefits there as well. So, one more bit of important information on berberine that I forgot to take, well, I just ran out of time last week to tell you. There have been several brands of berberine claiming on the front of the label that they contain 1,200 milligrams. Then on the back, you find that it takes three or even four capsules to deliver 1,200 milligrams. Berberine is this really fluffy yellow compound. It's really uh, kind of sticky. It's a, it's a weird, weird stuff. I've opened up capsules and played with it a little bit. And um, it's very, very difficult to fit very much in a capsule. So they have to use a big capsule to get 500 milligrams in. And if it's done correctly, uh, you can squeeze 500 milligrams into a capsule. You can't expect to get more than 500 in a capsule, I don't think. I don't think that's actually possible. And I have found a brand that has been, and, and it's a brand I've loved for years called Natural Factors, that has been proven in independent lab studies where they've, independent labs have just pulled a bunch of berberine off the shelf and studied to see how much is actually in a capsule. And it's been proven that it always has the 500 milligrams they claim. So that's the one that I'll be recommending. It's the one that I'm using. It's the one that I'm telling you is like 20 bucks for a month's supply. And it is awesome stuff. So be cautious with what form of berberine uh, you decide to purchase. Also, quickly, before I move on, I want to talk about something else I was going to touch on last week because it has to do with the diabetes, blood sugar, cholesterol thing. Uh, white mulberry. Thousands of years of use in China. White mulberry is very cool. There's a couple of animal studies that were done uh, that showed that it uh, helped with diabetic rats um, and uh, that it brought them into a normal blood glucose level. A uh, similar study uh, in the advances of medical sciences reported that people who used low-fat milk infused with mulberry leaf extract had a slower absorption of simple carbohydrates than those given plain low-fat milk. This effect would explain how white mulberry extracts prevent blood sugar spikes following meals. 
There have since been additional human trials that have shown significant reductions in blood sugar when taken with meals. And uh, what it looks like white mulberry, mulberry does is it actually prevents your body from being able to absorb uh, a percentage of those carbohydrates and sugars, specifically uh, the sugars and glucose. And that in an a variety for a variety of reasons is really, really great. Uh, it prevents the spikes of blood sugar that a lot of diabetics and pre-diabetics get. It seems to potentially improve insulin sensitivity as well, which is a big deal because that's one of the first things that kind of goes south when you start to get into that pre-diabetic range. And you can just take it before your meals. Um, it's very inexpensive. It's actually less expensive than berberine. And uh, that's another thing that I've decided to start taking because I'm, I'm a little concerned about this whole diabetes and heart disease thing uh, for long term as I'm inching closer to 50 years old, knowing that 30 to 40 percent of Americans are keeling over due to heart disease. I've been paying a lot more attention to protecting mine. So uh, white mulberry for that, really, really cool. Also for high cholesterol, uh, listen to these numbers. Uh, progressively in a 12-week study on humans again, uh, triglycerides were decreased by 10.2% at week four, 12.5% at week eight, 14.1% at week 12. At the end of the 12-week study, total cholesterol dropped by an average of about 5%, LDL cholesterol by 5.6%, and good cholesterol increased by an impressive 19.7%. Now that is substantial. Almost a 20% increase in HDL. Remember, that's the good cholesterol. The cholesterol drugs do not seem to fix. So if you're struggling with low HDL, high LDL, high triglycerides, mulberry and berberine could be just a powerful one-two punch for you. So these are things you could talk over with your doctor or pharmacist, especially if you're concerned about the drugs that you may already be taking or that have been recommended for you as alternatives knowing that there are actual human clinical trials proving that these things work. And in the case of mulberry, it's being used in China uh, as one of the first-line defenses for blood sugar issues. Okay, so there's your uh, continuation of last week's episode. I'm going to need to cut to a break here, gather my thoughts, and I will come back with some awesome information on aloe vera. Aloe vera, one of the tried-and-true old-school things, one of the few things well, one of a few things, I don't know how many there are, uh, that I sold when I was a little kid at Vitality Nutrition and still sell to this day. And yet I feel like it is overlooked for all the things that it does that have nothing to do with a sunburn. So we'll talk about that and we'll talk about the proper way to care for your skin in terms of prevention of sunburn and sun damage to the skin naturally without chemicals, without things that are going to mess with your endocrine system. That's what we'll talk about. Oh, and how to make sure you're still getting the vitamin D you need from the sun this summer. That's all coming up next. You're listening to me. I'm Jared St. Clair, and this is Vitality Radio. After decades of helping people with their nutritional supplement needs, I have observed something that seems almost universal. People seem to have a lot of products that they have experimented with. Some might have been recommended by a blog or online, others from a magazine article, and yet another by a friend or family member. Information is coming at us at a rapid pace nowadays, and everyone has an opinion. The problem is that there is only one really big wild card in health and nutrition, and that wild card is you. I know you've heard the infomercials, seen the ads, 
or talk to that neighbor who has that cure-all product that can do it all for your health. The problem is that supplement doesn't exist. What's right for your neighbor isn't always right for you. At Vitality Nutrition, we've been asking the right questions for years. What I mean by this is, we don't just sell supplements, we consult with our clients and ask them the key questions needed to make sure we match the right supplement to the right person. If you feel better about a team approach to your health, give us a call and one of our well-educated Vitality team members will answer your questions and help you find just what it is that you need to address your health concerns naturally. You can reach us at 801-292-6662. That's 801-292-6662. Or drop us an email. Info at vitalityradiopod.com. That's info at vitalityradiopod.com. Welcome back to Vitality Radio and the Vitality Radio Podcast. My name's Jared St. Clair. It's good to be with you today. We're doing things a little bit in reverse today as I had to do that update uh, on berberine. And I left out even a couple of other little tidbits. So I'm going to give you those uh, in just a second. But first, Vitality Radio, always brought to you by Vitality Nutrition in Bountiful, 107 South, 500 West in Bountiful, Utah. You can call us at 801-292-6662. That's 801-292-6662. No matter where you are, if you're within the sound of my voice, we can help you at Vitality Nutrition in Bountiful. You can check us out on Facebook. Vitality Radio is on Facebook at facebook.com slash Vitality Radio. And you can go to our website, vitalityradio.com. If you like what you hear on Vitality Radio, go tell somebody, like it, share it, tell the world, leave a review, give me five stars. That'd be great. I'd appreciate all of that. I uh, hate to ask for it every week, but that's the only way to build up the uh, awareness for people of Vitality Radio. So if you like what you hear, go tell somebody. I would very, very greatly appreciate that. A lot of cool things coming up on Vitality Radio over the next few weeks and months, including uh, eventually we're going to be doing it, doing it on YouTube. And we're going to be doing uh, extra bonus episodes and all kinds of other cool stuff. So pretty excited about what's coming up. Let me jump right back into that berberine thing real quick. So I forgot to leave out something that everybody's going to be excited about. As a natural positive side effect of berberine use, over a 12-week period, the average weight loss was almost six pounds. And that's without a change in diet or exercise. That's just taking it for blood sugar, blood pressure, or cholesterol, whatever the participants were taking it for, they were also losing weight. My uh, guess is that that's because it was balancing blood sugar so effectively. So a nice little bonus. And also, I have already received a couple of uh, testimonials after literally one day of use of berberine to people who've been struggling with blood sugar and blood pressure issues are already seeing results in their morning readings Really, really cool stuff. So very excited about all of that. Uh, if you need more information on berberine, call us at 801-292-6662. Now, I've got to get to the other topic I wanted to talk about. It is spring. We are almost the end of May. I may be a little bit late for this, but uh, maybe not too late. I think most people have been uh, either inside more than they should be because of this COVID thing 
or maybe just, you know, the weather hasn't quite been warm enough to get out in the water or whatever else it is. But of course, most of us will be seeing a lot more sunshine over the next few weeks and months. And I wanted to talk about sunscreen. Sunscreen is a very interesting topic that I think is interesting mainly because it's not that controversial. With most people, sunscreen is just something you do. Now, I'm 47 years old. At the end of this summer, I will be 48 years old. And that is very interesting because that makes me about a year younger than the Sun, the Skin Cancer Foundation, which was formed in 1971. Prior to 1971, there wasn't a ton of melanoma in this country. And it's uh, back in the 1950s, there was vir- virtually none. And there's been all kinds of different things that... Uh, I, I would say hypotheses or theories about why that is. But the biggest thing that the Skin Cancer Foundation wants us to believe is because the sun's UV rays are very damaging to our skin and uh, we need sunscreen to protect ourselves. That seems to be the big story. So, you know, WebMD says said this in an article that was written in January. We're going to go into some detail on that article because it's really, really good. And I say January, I mean January of 2020. This is new stuff. Not very often you're going to get me to agree with WebMD, but they've got some very interesting information, and it'll be how we wrap up what is going to be the morning rant. Full of often confusing messages about health, let Jared be your guide through the smoke screens of corporate greed, media bias, government ineptitude, and propaganda. When you see what is really happening, you'll be ranting too. It's time to expose the hidden agendas. It's time for the truth. It's time for the vital rant. I know, I know, I know. The rant is a little delayed today, and I hope that's okay. Uh, you know, we had to do things a little bit backwards this time, and I think that's okay because uh, we need to shake it up a little bit. But there are a lot of you who listen who would be very sad if there wasn't a rant at all. Rest assured, there is a rant. After decades of public health education, almost anyone who is heading outdoors has heard the message that sunscreen is an important part of protecting skin from sunburns aging, and skin cancer. In fact, sun care is a nearly $2 billion a year industry in the United States. So I decided to take a look at the primary source of all of this quote-unquote education on sunscreen and cancer, which is the aforementioned Skin Cancer Foundation, a a group formed in 1971. Now, they say on their website, when used as directed, sunscreen is proven to Decrease your risk of skin cancers and skin precancers. Regular risk use of, or sorry, regular daily use of SPF 15 sunscreen can reduce your risk of developing squamous cell carcinoma by about 40% and lower your melanoma risk by 50%. Now, these statements sound plenty compelling, but they are based on science that is as thin as the paper the studies were printed on. While there is actually decent evidence that sunscreens will reduce the risk of the two forms of skin cancer that generally 
don't kill you. That's the squamous cell and the basal cell carcinomas. The most dangerous skin cancer by far, and the one that's on the rise uh, that uh, is the most concerning is melanoma, which is kills a high percentage of the people that uh, contract melanoma. And yet it's on the rise. And they say that regular sunscreen use, SPF 15 daily, can reduce the risk of melanoma by 50%. You know, that statement, in fact, it says, when used as directed, sunscreen is proven to reduce your risk of melanoma by 50%. Okay, that's their words, not mine. That was based on one study. One study. Now, one study is almost always not enough for pretty much anything that you're talking about. I think we all know this. For one thing, in studies, it's fairly easy to get a study to say what you want it to say, uh, depending on who's funding the study. Uh, But also, sometimes the studies just go wrong. Well, this study has all kinds of potential issues with it. For one thing, it was done in Australia. So it doesn't necessarily cover the rest of the world. We do know that the UV rays hit us different ways in different areas of the country, or I should say different areas of the world. There's all that kind of stuff, geographically speaking. But on top of that, this study was done based on questionnaires. This was based on questionnaires about every six months to a year, these people were asked about their sunscreen use and then followed up on to see if they ever ended up with melanoma. And based on that study, they're saying that there's a 50% reduction in risk of melanoma, and that's based on a total of 33 melanoma cases spread out over 1,600 people. So if you just look at all of those things, you know we need more research to back any kind of a claim like that. But boy, I had to dig just to find that information because it's nowhere on the skin cancer site that I could find. They make the claim, they don't necessarily make it easy to figure out where that claim's coming from. But, you know, these organizations are notorious for conflicts of interest. The Skin Cancer Foundation is no exception. The Skin Cancer Foundation, also known as SEF, as opposed to SPF, is heavily supported by the sunscreen industry. A sunscreen manufacturer even funded the SCF's quarterly consumer publication, The Sun and Skin News. So, pretty obvious conflict of interest there. Well, let's look at a study that was done way back in 1998 by a Dr. Berwick from Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. I'll read just a couple of excerpts from the report, which was immediately bashed, by the way, back in 98 by the sunscreen industry and its friends at the Skin Cancer Foundation. No surprise. Increased amounts of sun exposure, she said, have been linked to the alarming rise in melanoma incidence, the highest rising cancer in men, and the second highest rising in women. But Dr. Berwick reports that epidemiologic studies show that, to the contrary, people are spending actually less constant time outdoors and thus engaging in more intermittent sun exposure, which may explain the increase in melanoma rates. The evidence indicates that chronic sun exposure may be protective for the development of melanoma because the skin has adapted to the sun, having become thicker as it is tanned. On the other hand, intermittent sun exposure appears to increase risk, making it much less protective, added Dr. Berwick. 
Given the data, blanket advice to the public to wear sunscreens as protection against melanoma skin cancer at any time outdoors is not warranted, she said. Now, there has been, I said that this is a topic with very low controversy. Among scientists, there is plenty of controversy. I read study after study and report after report and theory after theory as I uh, was putting together this show. I've talked about this topic on Vitality Radio at least two or three other times. And each time I'm, I guess I'm not surprised anymore, but at how much more information there is out there that basically says sunscreen, eh, maybe not that big of a deal. Well, for one thing, there's a couple of interesting uh, things. Sunscreen really wasn't even a thing uh, until around the 60s-ish, and it was tanning lotion back then, and the SPF wasn't particularly high and all that kind of stuff. But when it was introduced, melanoma was, there was hardly any melanoma in America. And then melanoma rates started to slowly rise. And as melanoma rates started to rise, the Skin Cancer Foundation was founded and they started touting more sunscreen or or sun protection. And the sunscreen industry, which at the time was mostly tanning lotion designed to help you get a better tan, uh, they uh, basically designed to help you stay in the sun longer without burning so you could tan. That was the original idea behind it. Uh, they started then calling their tanning lotion sunscreen. And when they started calling it sunscreen, they started saying that it was sun protective and preventative, not just sunburns, but possibly cancer. And sales dramatically increased. And some interesting things have happened since then. Let's look at the numbers, because these numbers to me are staggering. But I want to know what you think. Melanoma rates have continued to increase at between 6 to 8% annually in America since 1971. Sunscreen sales have gone from $18 million in 1972 to $500 million in 1996 to now over $2 billion in 2020. And that's just in the United States. From $18 million to $2 billion over the last 50 years. So if melanoma risk is cut in half by regular use of sunscreen, why do the rates continue to rise while we as a country are clearly using far more than we ever did before? Well, let's first look at the common sense reasons why cancer may be on the rise, even in the face of dramatically increased use of sunscreen. What do UV rays provide that sunscreen blocks? Well, specifically, UVB rays, the ones that tend to cause more of the, the uh, squamous cell and basal cell carcinoma, as they say, the two weaker skin cancers that aren't particularly scary and are fairly common. These cancers, um, the UVB, which is much more effectively blocked by, by sunscreen, happen to be the rays that also penetrate the skin, mix with the cholesterol in the skin, and create vitamin D. And what is vitamin D? Well, vitamin D is not a vitamin. It's a hormone. And one of its hormonal benefits, one of the most powerful and efficient benefits of this said hormone, vitamin D, is the protection against cancer. It is powerfully immune-related, uh, the, the effects of vitamin D. And one of the things that we know that it does, and there's a lot of evidence of this, is prevent cancer. So by using sunscreen specifically daily, like the 
Skin Cancer Foundation encourages us to do, and many of you ladies out there are using SPF in your makeup uh, on a daily basis. Uh, they may be uh, actually, that may be preventing your vitamin D absorption. Well, it is preventing your vitamin D absorption, which is weakening your immune system and particularly uh, making you more exposed to certain types of cancer. So that might be one thing. But when we look at common sense, we also have to look at, you know, kind of what happened 100 years ago and 200 years ago and 300 years ago. And why is it that back in the 1930s, when there was no such thing as sunscreen of any kind, and the beaches were full of sunbathers, that there was hardly any melanoma. Well, there's a lot of questions there, and I don't have time to get into all of them because there's a many, 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 many chemicals and things that have been ex- we've been exposed to over the years since then, the last 80, 90, 100 years, that we were not exposed to before, many of which are carcinogenic. So I'm not claiming to have all the answers as to why melanoma is on the rise, But if they're saying that sunscreen reduces melanoma by 50%, the risk of melanoma by 50%, and we see that sunscreen sales have grown exponentially over the last 20 years, and yet so has melanoma rates to the point where they're calling it an epidemic in this country, then sunscreen doesn't seem to be cutting the mustard when it comes to this. Now, how does the Sunscreen Foundation, I mean the Skin Cancer Foundation, How do they recommend we use sunscreen? Well, they have something cleverly known as the five W's and H of sunscreen. (laughs) Now, they're good at propaganda. I mean, they put out some good propaganda. They put out some good half-truths like any of these great foundations, the American Cancer Society, American Heart Association, and now the Skin Cancer Federation or Foundation. But they need probably some marketing help with this because I think they could have come up with something better than the five W's and H. But what do I know? Let's go through them. The first W is who? Everyone under the sun should use sunscreen. What? Broad spectrum, SPF 15 or higher, SPF 30 or higher for a day outdoors. When? Every day, 30 minutes prior to going outdoors and reapply every two hours. Every day, 30 minutes prior to going outdoors and then reapply it every two hours. Where? All exposed skin. How? One ounce. One ounce to an entire body for each application. That's the H, by the way. And why? To reduce your risk of skin damage and skin cancer. So that's what they're recommending is massive use of sunscreen. I mean, massive use of sunscreen. I've never seen a recommendation that high before um, where it was daily and all exposed skin and 30 minutes before going out. I mean, I've seen all these things in different places, but this is pretty aggressive. And imagine the body's ability to absorb vitamin D if you're putting it on 30 minutes before you go outside every single day. No more vitamin D. They don't mention that anywhere on the Skin Cancer Foundation site. Huh, interesting. Okay, so... Is it possible that all this use of sunscreen blocking the UV rays and not just blocking vitamin D, but also preventing sunburns and things like that? Because we do know that sunscreen does prevent sunburns. That the sunscreen might actually be worse than what it's trying to prevent, which is those UV rays. Well, according to WebMD, and this is a group I don't generally jive with very often, but what do they say? 
New FDA testing of sunscreen shows that six common active ingredients are absorbed into the body and may linger for days or even weeks in some cases. What's more, the testing showed that just a single application of sunscreen, whether as a lotion or a spray, increases the body levels or the blood levels of these active ingredients beyond the FDA's threshold for determining if they need more study to be considered safe. It's a little bit scary because we just don't know what the biological effect of sunscreen is in your blood, says uh, Alok Vij, I hope I'm saying that right, a dermatologist at Cleveland Clinic in Ohio. He was involved in the study. The FDA has allowed sunscreen makers to sell their products under an assumption that they are generally recognized as safe and effective. Several decades ago, the FDA began requiring manufacturers to do some safety testing on their products if they could be absorbed into the body at levels above 0.5 nanograms per milliliter. Now, below that level, there's thought to be minimal minimal risk uh, that an ingredient or drug could cause harm. These standards were set in the last couple of decades, but sunscreen has been around for a lot longer than that, says Kanadi Shinkai, MD and PhD, a dermatologist at the University of California. Uh, She was not involved in the research, but she says, as a result, sunscreen essentially got grandfathered into the FDA's surveillance system without any real safety testing. The agency has been urging, and this is my favorite part, companies that make sunscreen to do more safety studies on their products. But for various reasons, it just never happened, said Shinkai. Yeah, various reasons. Imagine if you were making millions and millions of dollars on your sunscreen. Let's just take Banana Boat, for instance. Banana Boat's out there. They're selling sunscreen like it's going out of style. They're part of a $2 billion industry just in America. And the FDA says, hey, we just discovered that the chemicals in your sunscreen are potentially or or are leaching into people's blood in alarming rates. We'd like you to do some safety studies. Uh, yeah, yeah, FDA, we'll get right on that. Are you kidding me? They're going to do some safety studies and maybe prove that their stuff is dangerous? Well, first off, if they're ever going to do safety studies, I can guarantee you those safety studies are going to be questionable at best, but that's the FDA for you. Anyway, various reasons those studies haven't happened. Finally, the FDA which does have a small research division, decided to take the question of body absorption of sunscreen ingredients into its own hands. They developed a couple of different tests and they determined that some nasty, nasty things happen. They tested aerosol and pump lotions and sprays. They had 48 healthy adults, half were men and half were women, apply the sunscreens to 75% of their bodies, virtually anywhere a swimsuit wouldn't cover. On the first day, they applied the sunscreen just once. On days two, three, and four, the men and women in the study took a shower in the morning, then applied the sunscreen every two hours for a total of four applications each day. Now, that's what the sunscreen foundation, ah, sorry, Skin Cancer Foundation, that's kind of the same thing, but whatever, Skin Cancer Foundation recommends, okay? So they went with that recommendation. And then researchers took 34 blood samples from each study participant for those first days of sunscreen use. And then later, after a week, two weeks, and three weeks to see how long those chemicals might stay elevated in the body. What they did in the study very much mimics what it says on the sunscreen tube, Shinkai says. These are not unrealistic. This is a real world, at least the way it's recommended, test. 
The new study, which is published in the Journal of American Medical Association, largely confirms the findings of the first study. It shows that six active ingredients tested were absorbed into the body. Some continued to be elevated beyond the FDA's threshold of concern for three weeks after the people in the study stopped putting them on their skin. For three weeks, listen to the numbers. For example, blood concentrations of oxybenzone, were more than 180 times the FDA's level of concern after one application. They then soared to more than 500 times the FDA's level of concern after four days of regular use. Three weeks later, blood tests continued to show higher levels of oxybenzone, though it was much lower than the start of the study. So we know that these chemicals are getting into the blood. They're getting into the blood in alarmingly high rates because 500 times what the FDA is concerned about with a chemical, that's a lot. And 180 times after just one application, and yet skincancer.org, I think it is, those guys, the Skin Cancer Foundation, the front group for the skin or for the uh, sunscreen uh, companies, they say you should do it every single day, 30 minutes before you go out, and then every two hours thereafter. So, can you imagine what those levels would be if they stay in the body for at least three weeks? It would be massive, absolutely massive. Now, let's just talk about oxybenzone. I've talked about this on Vitality Radio before. Studies have shown that oxybenzone may affect breast development, infant birth weight, and sperm function. It has also been shown to contribute to the killing of coral reefs in the ocean. You may have seen coral-safe sunscreen out there. That's because Hawaii has banned oxybenzone and octinoxate uh, starting in 2021 because they're worried about the coral reefs. So this stuff is toxic to the ocean too. If it's enough to kill coral reefs, probably not very good to be floating around in your body. And yet the SPF 50 that we want to coat on our babies because of their beautiful, soft, supple white skin, well, we're putting two or three times as much of that chemical on their hyper-soft, hyper-absorbent skin. Can you imagine the numbers growing on them in terms of what's happening in their blood? We know that these chemicals are endocrine disruptors. They cause everything from impotence in men to, as it said, breast uh, development issues, but even breast cancer, prostate cancer, and a variety of other things. And they may even cause skin cancer. Why wouldn't they? I mean, think about it. If they're carcinogenic in other areas of the skin, and I'm not saying we have proof that this is the case, but to me, it's not that far of a leap to take that if they can cause breast cancer and if they can cause prostate cancer, why couldn't they cause skin cancer, the very organ that they are slathered onto day after day after day after day? And as we see the use of sunscreen coming way up in this country and melanoma coming way up right along with it, causation, correlation, yeah, they're not the same thing, but I'd say there's at least correlation there. All right, I only have a few more minutes left, and so now I want to talk to you about what I think we need to do when it comes to sunscreen. First off, we need vitamin D. We need it. It's very, very important to us. 20 to 30 minutes of good sun exposure for most of us is very safe. It's very, very good for us. 
And the majority of us won't get burned in that amount of time. Now, if you have very fair skin, you may have to do it more intermittently. Get out for five or 10 minutes a couple of times a day. But the fairer your skin, the more vitamin D you absorb. The darker your skin, the less vitamin D uh, you make from the sun. So it kind of works with the amount of sun exposure you can kind of handle, for lack of a better term. Uh, in my case, I'm a Caucasian guy. I'm fair skinned, I'd say, but I'm not a redhead. And I've got this amazing bald head that's this awesome magnet for sunburns, if I'm not careful. But I can go about 15, 20 minutes with my bald head in the sun, and I do fine. And then I put on mineral sunscreen. Now, we know the vitamin D is cancer preventative, specifically breast cancer preventative, by the way, which we know oxybenzone can potentially lead to, according to the studies. That's the chemical sunscreens. Now, on sunscreen... Uh, .org, or sorry, skincancer.org. Uh, skin, <laughs> I'm getting them all mixed up because they're the same thing. The people who promote sunscreen, the people who sell sunscreen, by and large, are the same people, uh, you know, different branches of the same organization, much like the American Cancer Society, but that's beside the point. So if we talk about how the sunscreen thing is being promoted. They're promoting chemical sunscreens. And on their website, they do say you can use mineral sunscreens and you can use chemical sunscreens, but they actually talk down mineral sunscreens on their website, which is ridiculous. And there's a reason for that. And I think I know what it is. Well, I think I, yeah, I know what it is because the sunscreen industry would much rather use chemicals than natural compounds. For one thing, they're cheaper by and large. Uh, for another thing, they're more user-friendly. You can rub that kind of sunscreen into your skin better than you can rub, rub a mineral sunscreen into your skin. However, get this. Remember it says 30 minutes before exposure? Yeah, 30 minutes before exposure because those chemicals don't start working for at least 30 minutes. How often does that actually happen, by the way? How often are you at the beach and in the car, 30 minutes before you get to the beach, you're applying sunscreen? I would say probably not ever. Most people are applying it once they have started out in the sun and they've laid out their beach towel and they've thrown up their, you know, umbrella and whatever else they're doing, then they're putting on their sunscreen. So you're already at risk according to their own rules if you don't do it 30 minutes before. But what I love about the mineral sunscreens, besides the fact that they work great, is you can put them on and they are immediately effective. It takes oxybenzone and those other chemicals 30 minutes to become effective at doing what they need to do because they actually take a chemical change once they get on the skin, whereas the minerals work immediately. And so after 20 minutes of exposure, that's when I put on my sunscreen. I get my vitamin D and I don't get a sunburn. And I don't cause cancer or my prostate to fall out because I'm putting all these foreign chemicals into my body that are incredibly dangerous that we have no idea how dangerous they might be over 30 years of use or 40 or 50 years of use. Think of your children and grandchildren. You're slathering this stuff on them from the time they're born, just about, all the way through the rest of their lives. And we wonder why cancer rates are on the rise with all these chemicals that the FDA hasn't even got any safety data on, and we have plenty of unsafety data on now. So I love one by a company called ThinkSport. And I love another one by a company called All Good. They're the two best I've ever used. And I'll tell you why they're the best. For one thing, they will absolutely prevent sunburn. They're very effective. I've had excellent success with them. But for another thing, 
they aren't just the chemicals that are sunblocks that are missing, but all the other chemical crap that is in your typical lotions and creams and things like that is missing. Uh, we don't have any of that stuff in these brands. They're very, very clean top to bottom. And besides the fact that they prevent sunburn on my bald head, they also rub into the skin pretty well. One of the big complaints about mineral sunblocks over the years is they make you white. Like they, they kind of keep a film on the skin that looks white. To some degree that happens with these, but if you rub them a little longer, they go right in. They're fine. Nobody seems to complain. People really, really like them. At Vitality, we've now carried these for a couple of years, and I'm telling you, they're the best sunblocks I've ever seen. And what's interesting is where a lot of times, uh, you know, FDA or AMA or whoever else is going to shoot down natural remedies and say, well, don't do that. Use our drugs. In the case of sunscreen, the FDA and even WebMD it says chemical sunscreens work great for blocking UV rays, but so do the natural ones. And if you want to use the natural ones, use the natural ones. In fact, WebMD specifically in that article said, we recommend that you use the natural ones, the mineral ones. They work great. So nobody disputes that they work great at all. In fact, the only place that disputes it is the skincancer.org group that seems to be a front organization for the sunscreen lobby or whatever you want to call it, the sunscreen manufacturers of America, whoever they are, they're the ones funding this skincancer.org. And I would say that there is a conflict of interest of the highest order there. So think sport, all good. There are a bunch of other good brands. If you want to go to ewg.org, uh, you can actually download an app from the App Store if you want, and you can look at your brand of sunscreen and see if it's clean. They have rating numbers and everything else, but my two favorites by far are those two, the only two that I use anymore. I absolutely love them. They work great. They're clean. They're safe. I'll put them on my seven-year-old and have no concern that I'm causing any ailments for him. But I also believe, I really truly believe that getting a good tan wisely without letting your skin get blistered and all that stuff. We are creatures that were made to be in the sun. Our forefathers and their forefathers and theirs before them were in the sun, exposed far more than we are. The sun is not the enemy. We have to be wise with it for sure. But remember, before there was sunscreen, there was a lot less melanoma than there is now. Coincidence? I don't know. All right, I've got to run. That is, is it for the show. I promised to talk about aloe vera. I didn't get to it, but we're going to talk about aloe vera and all the amazing things it does on next week's Vitality Radio. And uh, I may even do a little bonus episode on a couple of these topics that I'm getting antsy to talk about. But I got to run now. Vitality Radio, always brought to you by Vitality Nutrition and Bountiful, 107 South, 500 West. You can call us at 801-292-6662. That's 801-292-6662. If you have any questions on berberine or mulberry or sunscreen or when we're going to have sports again, I don't care. Give us a call, 801-292-6662. 62 is the number. If you like the show on the radio, find it as a podcast, share it with your friends and family. I would really appreciate the support. I love and appreciate all of you that are willing to listen to me once a week on Vitality Radio. Thank you so much for your time. I'm Jared Sinclair. 
And this has been Vitality Radio. been listening to the vitality radio podcast enjoy your week in the meantime jared will be feverishly searching for the latest nutrition info to educate you on and wading into mounds of propaganda to help steer you through it vitality radio is researched and written by jared st Clair, produced by elizabeth joy windham with very limited help from jared our awesome music is by brian bob young Support Vitality Radio by subscribing and giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or your favorite podcast source. Don't forget to follow us at Vitality Radio on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Please let us know your thoughts about this episode by using the hashtag Vitality Radio Podcast. And if you like what you hear, go tell somebody with a share, a screenshot, or an airdrop. Thank you. Hello, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Vitality Radio. Just a reminder that this podcast is for educational purposes only. This podcast has not been evaluated by the FDA. This podcast is provided with the understanding that the information shared is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This podcast is not a substitute for professional care by a medical professional. Thank you. During this COVID-19 challenge, Vitality Nutrition in Bountiful now offers curbside pickup. Just call 801-292-6662. We will take your order by phone and have it ready when you get to our parking lot. We can also ship product to most of Utah next day. Give us a call at 801-292-6662. That's 801-292-6662. Thank you.